1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 10, says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. One of the contrasts that I see in this text that I just love is the way that it starts out by saying you need to use the gift that God has given you, but then at the end it says to him be all the glory and the dominion and the power. There is something about using your giftedness for the right reason that actually brings God all the glory. There are times that we can misunderstand a gift that we have. We can use it for a manipulative purpose or for a personal selfish gain and we actually miss the point of why we have the gift. You have received a gift in order to serve people so that God gets all the glory. That's the whole point. That's the whole understanding. God gifted you to serve others so that he is glorified. And when God is glorified in the life of a person, when God is glorified in a household, when God is glorified in a place of work, when God is glorified on the earth, the earth is better. When we give him glory, the place where we give him glory is infinitely better. And so we have all been gifted for the purpose of serving so that God gets the glory. So if we have all been gifted, and we all have, if we could just kind of stroll through this this morning in such a way that we're going to talk about a gifted person, then we're going to talk about gifts in general, and then we're going to talk about what happened in the church when everyone used their gifts. And so the person I just want to kind of start out with talking about from Scripture is Timothy. Timothy was a student of the Apostle Paul. He was someone who Paul found on one of his missionary journeys, the second missionary journey, actually. And so he comes into a, into contact with Timothy, and he asks about Timothy. And everybody says, oh, this guy's awesome. He's a good kid. He loves God. He's, um, yeah, I mean, he's solid. And so Paul's like, well, I want to take him with me. And they said, great. He's a, he'd be a great one to take. And the thing is, Timothy had an interesting story. Timothy had a dad who was a Gentile, and he had a mom who was uh, Jewish. She followed the law. And so as Paul was taking the gospel into Gentile cities and mingling with Gentile cultures, he had somebody alongside of him, somebody on his team that had a particular equipping, that had a particular experience that actually allowed for his gift to function in a more effective way. I want you to understand that when we are talking about your spiritual gift, that's the gift we're talking about, you receive it. It isn't something that you learn. It isn't something that you earned. It's not something that you inherited. You, in, you literally received a spiritual gift. But there are experiences that you have lived. There are things that you know that will absolutely enhance the usefulness of your gift. And this is what we see in Timothy. Timothy had a dad from one culture, a mom from another culture, and that enabled him to have a handle of the scripture, but also a handle of culture where the scripture needed to be poured out or needed to be preached. And so we see this particular equipping of Timothy that was given, but we also see a lifestyle. 
Now also we see within Timothy a very, um, maybe it's a unique feature, maybe it's not. It's certainly something that we should embrace as we begin to not just discover but develop our gifts. Timothy was willing to go beyond really what was asked of him in order for him to have a higher effectiveness with his gift. And I'll be very careful with how I present this, but, um, you know, it it is what it is. There were people who were frustrated that um, Timothy was preaching the gospel to, who did not, they, they really didn't, they were confused with the idea of following Jesus. They followed the law, but, but embracing Jesus as the Son of God was really complicated for them. And they would look at Timothy, who had a, a Jewish mom, and they were frustrated that um, he wasn't circumcised. And that's not a church word, but uh, Timothy agreed to circumcision so that people would receive the gospel who otherwise wouldn't hear it. The lesson for us is sometimes there is a process of cultivating your giftedness. It might take a week to deploy you or four weeks to deploy you or you might need to pair up with a mentor in order to mature your gift so that you can use it. And all I'm saying is, in life, don't give up on using your gift because you don't like the process. If you ever want to complain about the process, just think about Timothy. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, but he was willing to do what was necessary. Paul, that's why he said, look, I became all things to all people that by any means I might win some. Timothy was willing to do whatever was necessary for him to use his gift so that his gift could reach more people. Because actually, that's the point. The point of the gift is to serve one another. The point of the gift, you aren't gifted so that you can chase fame. You aren't gifted so that your name can be lifted up. You are gifted so that his name can be lifted up. And when we serve others with our gift, he gets all the glory. And so this was something that Timothy absolutely understood. It was also told that, hey, Timothy, the faith that was in your mom and the faith that was in your grandmother is the same faith that is in you. That was sort of a complicated thing to tell Timothy because he had to realize that he was raised in the, the Hebrew scriptures and though his dad might have been a Gentile and though he might have had a whole lot of influence by pagan or Gentile ideas, Paul was telling him, look, your key, your pathway to useful is not in understanding all of these Gentile things, but rather rejecting the sinfulness of your upbringing and embracing the scriptures that you were taught. And that means for all of us, as we step further forward into the usefulness of our gifts, there will be some things that hang on that we have to push away. There will be things that we learned that we have to sort of deconstruct. There will be things that are a hindrance to us that we have to just neglect, that we just have to forget. There will be failures that need to be ignored. Why? Because I need to get past all of this stuff and hang on to the faith that is in me that comes from the faith that I received from people who had faith who taught me the word. 
And so for us to get better at our usefulness of our gift, yes, we will have to commit to processes and, and we're going to have to let some things go. But here's what I want you to really embrace more really than anything in that short space of time is that your gift is received. You receive it. Uh, this is what Timothy was told by the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6. He said, I remind you for this reason to fan into flame the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands, which you received through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. There is sometimes in embracing a giftedness that we just have, there sometimes is a trepidation to step out and use that gift because we're not so sure of it because we're sure of our skills. We're sure of the things that we have learned, but sometimes we're a little nervous to step out and use a gift that we simply received. But you did not receive that gift for the purpose of fear, but with that gift, with the receiving of the gift, came the spirit of power, love, and self-control. You will have to demonstrate a self-control in your lifestyle in order to use the gift that God has given you. You will have to understand and receive and embrace the spirit of love if you're going to use your gift. Why? Because it's for other people. When you're selfish with your giftedness, it doesn't help others. But you didn't receive a spirit of fear, but rather a spirit of also love. And I say that because um, the majority of people and when I say the majority, the majority, most of the people in church, both national and even local, do not use their spiritual gift for the advancement of the kingdom of God. It's, it's just not used. The amount of giftedness that is in this room that is untapped <clears throat> on a weekly basis is... Um, almost frustrating. It would be like if you went to eat and it was a buffet. Does anybody like buffets? I love buffets. When I was a kid, this is a terrible story. I shouldn't tell it. I'm going to tell it anyhow. Uh, Lakeland Mall is where now Lakes Church is. And I would ride my... I, why? Why do I get into these stories? I would ride my bike and I would go into Morrison's Cafeteria. Does anyone remember Morrison's? Only us older people in the room. Well, let me explain this for the kids' sake. Morrison's is like a buffet, but it's not a one-price buffet. It's a, you put everything on your plate that looks good and then you get to the end and you pay for it at the end. Um, I was the youngest person in the room every time I ever went to Morrison's. And um, unfortunately, I would just put stuff on my plate and I would go eat it and I would leave and no one ever asked me to pay, like ever. They never asked me to pay at Morrison's. And I did this for many times. Okay. But the last time, the last time I went to Morrison's, I paid. I couldn't believe how much the bill was. 
I'm like, I'm 12 years old. I'm like, I've got $20 worth of food on my plate? Anyhow, um, my, my point before I got sidetracked with the devil, my point was... <laughs> It would be like you have all of this that is necessary, like you, you put it all on your plate. This is all the things that God wants to do, but the only way to do it is to use the money in your pocket, and all the people are the resource, but they're not being used, and so you just sit there and you stare at what God would do that doesn't get done. Why? Not, not because he doesn't want to, not because he can't but because people who are gifted to do particular things just don't. Maybe it's because of fear. Maybe, maybe it's because of the lack of self-control. It takes self-control to serve, to use your gift in the house of God. Why do I say that? Because you have to say no to these things that you could be doing at these times, and you have to commit a certain amount of time to use your gift in the house of God. It takes a measure of love to use your gift in the house of God because you actually see the needs of people around you and you say, you know what? I actually have the gift that can serve them well in this space. I can actually help them. But you, you don't. But it's also of power. And this is where we sometimes, I think, I think this is where we lose it the most. We don't actually think we have the gift we have. The gift that you have has a power that God placed in you for the purpose of that power in you being released to serve someone else. It's in there. You don't have to have confidence in yourself. You don't have to have confidence in your perfection. You just have to have confidence in him that he gave you a spirit of power and love and self-control. Why? So that you will use your gift. Now, let me make sure I, I split this up. I don't want you to think that I'm actually talking about a learned gift or an inherited gift. This isn't something that you picked up in college. It's not something that you were born with. This is something that God just gave you. God all by himself gave it to you. I want to make sure we make that separation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23 says, God himself, the God of peace himself, sanctifies you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about that separation between soul and spirit, but if I could just stand on a soapbox for a minute, let me do this. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. There are things that God just does all by himself. God just does it. The prayer is may God himself, God himself, sanctify you completely. But now you get brought into the conversation after the word and. May God do this <clears throat> and may you, may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. So he makes you blameless, and then he tells you to keep yourself blameless. Now, how exactly does that work? It actually pushes against a little bit of what we see in modern Christianity. And this is sort of the conversation of modern Christianity. If I could put it in the form of a picture, maybe this would be helpful. So here's the illustration. On this side, we have a, a pig pen. So all of you guys are in the pig pen. Okay, fine. 
These people, no, here, okay, they want you to have it, I'm sorry. This is, actually, just leave it up here. You're great, this is up right here. Here's the pig pen. The pig pen is right here. On this side, though, is a beautiful garden, and the garden has grass that's mowed, and it has a pavered trail, and it's just really great over here. Pig pen garden. We, before Jesus, are in the pig pen. We are having what seems to be a great time in the pig pen until we get mud in our eye, until we've swallowed some dirt, and then all of a sudden, this pig pen isn't what we thought it was. I've said this before, sin is a pleasure for a season. If you didn't have fun sinning, you weren't doing it right. There is, there is a pleasure in sin for a season. But then all of a sudden, you're just, your feet are stuck, you're moving nowhere, you're a mess, and you're like, I'm tired of this. I'm just sick of this mess. And then you see Jesus standing there saying, I will lift you up out of the darkness. I will put you in light and I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to put a robe on you and I'm going to put a ring on your finger. And so we're like, yes, God himself sanctifies you completely. God did that. Then he says, now you keep yourself blameless. And now we're supposed to be over here playing, playing in the garden. But what we think in modern Christianity is this, now that I'm clean, I can jump back in the pig pen. And so we, in our new robe and our new ring, we jump in the pig pen. And we think God's just going to keep picking us up and putting us here. We get messy, oh, clean you back up, put you back in there, clean you back up, put you back in there, clean. That actually isn't the message of Christianity. He will sanctify you completely, and then he calls you to keep yourself blameless. Why? For the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to let you know, in case you have forgotten, or in case I haven't said it in a few weeks, Jesus is actually coming back. And when Jesus comes back, he's looking for a church, that's you and me, who are without spot, who are without wrinkle, but we are walking in the fullness of what he gave us. We are walking in the fullness of what he called us to. That's what he's actually looking for. God isn't going into the pig pen looking for the church. He's in the pig pen looking for those who are lost. He's in the the garden looking for the church. He didn't go outside of Eden looking for Adam and Eve. He went inside the garden where he had placed them. When God takes you out of something and he puts you where he puts you, you stay where he puts you because that's where he's coming back to find you. God is coming back to find a church that is without spot and without wrinkle because that's where he placed you. Here's why it matters when we're talking about our giftedness. Because Jesus said you can use your giftedness and you will cause blind people to see and lame people will walk. But to you, he'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, because I never knew you. You only used a gift that you were given because you had it and you used it to advance your name. Even though it helped somebody, even though they were blessed, you did it for the wrong reason because you were living the wrong lifestyle. And he said, I'm going to take the person who was ministered to by you, but you, worker of iniquity, depart from me. I never knew you. So there is the necessity when God makes us blameless to keep ourselves blameless as we use our giftedness. Because a lot of times, a lot of times, that gift still works. 
even when we have disqualified ourselves. Because that gift isn't for you. That gift is for the person that you serve. But as you use your gift, don't disqualify yourself. Okay, so what I want us to see here is this giftedness is spiritual. It is something that we receive. It is not something that we just go out and learn. There is the separation between what is spirit, what is soul, what is body. The gift that you receive by the spirit will be um, demonstrated by the body. You'll do something to minister or you will say something to minister. It certainly flows through your soul, but the soul is not the origin of your gift. The spirit is. The only reason why the soul is eternal is because of the Spirit of God. We talked a little bit about this last week. Let me make sure I clarify it this week. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, it says, The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. The only reason why the soul is alive eternally is because it is connected to the spirit which comes from God that is eternal. The soul all by itself has no eternal property. This is why your dog that has a soul, at least it seems like they have a soul, they have awareness, they can think, they can make decisions, they, they do things that we do with decisions that are made in the mind or the soul. But there's not an eternity to the soul of a dog because God didn't breathe into that dog the breath of life. Now, if you love your dog and you say, but I want my dog to be in heaven with me. I don't know how that works. I guess just pray a lot and say, I want this. I'm not praying that my dog goes to heaven. I don't want to get to heaven and there's my dog. I don't want to see that dog. The last the last place I want to see my dog is on the earth. I don't, I don't want her in heaven ever, ever. I don't. I feed her. I care for her. She's there. She's in the house. She's part of the family. But I hope this is it. The dog before her, I hope it's it. If I get to heaven and Sanders is in heaven, I don't, I'm like, oh, how did you get here? Yes, my dog's name was Sanders. She was a girl. She was named after Dion Sanders. I gave her a last name because that was gender neutral. And he was a Dallas Cowboy at the time. And I thought, by the way, just quick uh, public service announcement, the Dallas Cowboys are playing this afternoon, just in case anybody would like to pray extra for the sake of your preacher. Okay. So there is separation between what is soul and what is spirit. In the soul, there are gifts that we have. I have gifts that I, was, I inherited from my parents. I have skills that I inherited from my parents. I also have skills that are just the result of however that was, that all the genetics got complicated. They produced other gifts that maybe aren't seen in either parent, but they were recessive, hiding somewhere, and they showed up in me. We have gifts. We have skills inherited skills. We use them at work. We use them at play. We should use them. They're awesome. They're amazing. I love that we all have skillfulness. 
I love that we have the capacity to work. Work is not a curse. Work is a beautiful thing that God gave us to do. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 8, it says, we shall remember the Lord our God, for it is God who gives us the power to get wealth. What is the power to get wealth? That is the capacity to work. That is the calling to work. And when we work, what do we do? We earn. What is earning? It is getting wealth. So God gave us the capacity to do that. We inherited this. But that's something different than what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what you freely received, not that what you educated or inherited. I'm talking about what God freely gave you that you freely give. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 7, Jesus said it like this, Proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, for you received without paying, now give without pay. When you utilize your spiritual gift to benefit somebody, you don't charge them. It's, it's not how it works. So this, we're talking about a spiritual gift. We're talking about something very different than something that you might do for the purpose of gaining wealth or for the purpose of uh, earning or for the purpose of winning or whatever. We're talking about the usefulness of your spiritual gift. And this is why I say the majority of people aren't using it. We work, we earn, but most of us haven't really considered our spiritual gift and made the commitment to use it to serve people. So um, why don't we do this? Why don't we talk about these spiritual gifts? I'm just going to talk about a few of them that we see in Romans 12. I'm not going to talk about the list in 1 Corinthians 12 because a lot of times um, that tends to be connected to these uh, particular ministry gifts in the church, the apostle, the prophet, the um, evangelist, pastor, teacher. They're, they're more connected that way. They're not, they're not entire, it's not always that way, but, but it's more common that it's that way. So let's talk more about the gifts that are uh, more prevalent in the church body. Uh, since that's who we are. So let's just go through this, Romans chapter 12. I'm going to go through a list. I'm going to talk about different ones on the list. And here's a little warning. Have you ever been in class and somebody would always ask a stupid question that you didn't want to have to sit and listen to? You were just ready to get out? Like, I remember school was this way, where, especially in college, where they didn't have to keep you to the bell. And they'd be like, okay, well, that's about it, unless anybody has any questions. And you're like 15 minutes early, and you're like... And without fail, somebody on the front row would be like, I have a question. No, you don't. No, you don't. We're out of here. Right? Always. Okay, this is going to feel a little bit like that person. Because when you go through seven gifts and you have one of them and maybe your gift is number six, you're going to have to almost in a boredom way go through gifts one through five. But let me wake you up maybe to something that is also true. Even though you may not be gifted in a particular way, it doesn't mean that you don't demonstrate a measure of that giftedness. So when we look at these, what you're going to see is, oh, every single one of those I'm supposed to be or do at some level, it's not my passion. It's not the thing that like I wake up to do, but there are some of those things I have to do. I'm not going to be as good at it as they are. I'm not going to do it as often, but it is required of me. So hear all of the gifts as something that you would demonstrate at a measure, but in the list, try and locate the one that you say, oh yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely me. So we start here in Romans chapter 12 and verse 6. It says, having gifts that differ 
according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So he's saying the exact same thing Paul is to the church at Rome that Peter is saying here. If you recognize your gift, it's different from the next guy, make sure you use it. And then he goes on. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, if one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so we see these seven gifts that can all be categorized in one of two indexes. It's either something that is spoken or it is something that is done. Peter is calling this spoken gifts. He is calling this serving gifts. All of this is ministry. So we minister with vocal or spoken gifts. We minister with service gifts. These two things, we can put all seven of those in any one of two categories. And so I'm just going to kind of start at the top and kind of work my way to the last one mentioned. He says at the beginning, he says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. There are two here that we see in the list in Romans that are also repeated in the list in 1 Corinthians. The reason why I think that that matters is because there is a prophetic gift that exists in what would be a prophet, and there is a prophetic gift that exists in church members. And there is a little bit of difference maybe in, in what it sounds like, but there isn't a real difference in how it is used. And so let's just talk about this one within the body. He says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. There is a foretelling or a predicting that is like, you know, leadership global church prophecy. Like the end of the world is going to happen when? I, I don't recommend we do that. I don't recommend we make that prediction. Um, but there is prophecy as it would be called foretelling. So not foretelling as a prediction, but rather forthtelling, like saying, calling something forth, just speaking something forth. Uh, let me speak to this to parents, and then we'll push it maybe into this, this space of giftedness. Um, we see in the prophet Joel the prediction that all sons and daughters, all children of God will prophesy in the last days. Then we see Peter echo the words of Joel on the day of Pentecost when he says, this is that time, the last days, when all sons and daughters will prophesy. So all of us have a calling to this spirit of prophecy. All of us. Every single one of us. And so what that looks like is, let me, let me maybe say it this way, like as a parent, how does that work? Um, I believe every parent should pray a lot for their kids. I don't think we should just pray as we drop them off, though we should. I don't think we should just pray as we think about them, though we should. I do believe there should be times where we literally like shut out everything else and we have a focused time of prayer for our kids. When you focus a time of prayer, what you are doing is you're stepping into a place that is called the spirit. So I'm going to get a little mystical here for a minute. Just hang with me because it's actually for all of us. So I live in the natural and then I come to a place where I'm going to turn off the natural. I'm going to turn off the phone. I'm going to turn off the lights. I'm going to turn off anything that's a natural distraction for the purpose of praying that I might know the mind of God. 
So I'm going into the spirit. I'm coming out of the natural. I'm going into the spirit. I do that through prayer. Now that I'm in this place of prayer, I'm praying to God. I'm, I'm fully focused on him. Now in that place of prayer, I will understand things. If I'm praying for my children, I may not understand it day one, day two, day three, but there will be times of prayer where I will understand things about my kids that in the absence of that prayer moment, I would have not understood. I will know to say something or do something that without that moment of prayer, I would not have known to do. This is what we would call parenting supernaturally. There are things we do as parents that are natural. We should do them. There also is parenting supernaturally. I think we should work supernaturally. I think anything that affects you in this life, if you'll get into the spirit and bring the, the, uh, the moments of this life, bring them into here and pray about them, God will give you answers here in the spirit to take back in that place. Okay, so in here, you understand some things and you hold on to it, you bring it with you. And now in the natural, you speak what you heard in the spirit. That's what you would call prophecy. Not this, let me just say this. Like if, if you're somebody who speaks in tongues, I speak in tongues, I speak in tongues a lot. A large portion of my prayer life is praying with the spirit. That is, I'm praying mysteries, but if somebody's listening to me, it's not benefiting them. Because they have no idea what I'm saying. But if in the spirit, I hear something that I can bring into this space of naturalism, if I can call it that, and say it to them, all of a sudden they're benefited, right? They don't have a benefit from my praying in tongues. I can pray for them and God will benefit them, but they don't have a benefit from hearing me. My point is prophecy is to be spoken. It doesn't help anyone that I saw something. It doesn't, under, it doesn't help anyone that I know something. What helps them or serves them is when I say it. So for someone who um, would have a gift of prophecy for the purpose of forth-telling, let me just say this, you are probably somebody who prays a lot. Um, and this is something, I don't think Christianity's gotten it wrong. I think we have stopped short of being, we're very uncomfortable with certain titles. We're very comfortable with saying somebody has a gift to teach but we're uncomfortable saying someone has a gift to prophesy. And a lot of times we will say, oh, they have a gift of prayer because that's more comfortable for us to say. But here's the real reality. There is no gift of prayer. It's not in the list. It's not in the list in Romans. It's not in the list in Corinthians. It's not in Ephesians. We're all called to pray. We're all called to pray without ceasing. Everybody prays. But there are people who they have a... They have a calling to pray in the spirit a lot more than other people do. And it seems like that, that desire puts them in the spirit for the purpose of seeing and hearing that they might come back and prophesy. It seems to me like it's probably a prophetic gift that we're calling a gift to pray when it's, it's probably prophecy. And when you get in that place from moments of deep prayer, I believe when God shows you something or says something to you, you're supposed to speak it to the person he showed it to you about. Now, if it's not wise in the moment to tell them, then he told you for the purpose of praying for them 
for the purpose of one day sharing that testimony with them. Um, we, we would not hesitate. The teacher wouldn't hesitate to know something that you're not doing right to then teach you how to do it the right way. And yet, in prophecy, we, we tend to not do this. I guess I'm saying this to try and wake up some of the people in this room who you have spent a lot of time praying. I want to wake up the prophecies that are within you. I want you to have the comfort to know you don't have a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. The Apostle Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 14. He said that to prophesy is greater than speaking in tongues. Therefore, pray that you might prophesy. So there is a purpose in your prayer that is deeper than just prayer that is for the purpose of prophecy. Okay, everything else is not quite as high in the clouds. So I realized I was like, oh. Okay, uh, the next one is in your serving, then serve. Um, probably one of the greatest detractors to service is you just burning out because you're just serving, you're serving, you're serving, you're serving, and usually when you're serving, there isn't a whole lot of thanksgiving. Um, I, I just see this more and more and more and more. Some, some of the just most simple things in life, you can hold doors for people that most people walk through and not say thank you. I'm still going to hold doors. I'm not, why? Because I'm not doing it for the thanksgiving. It's not for me. This is what you have to understand as somebody who might have a gift of service. Your gift of service is for them. Should they thank you? Yes. But they're probably not going to. And if they don't, don't stop serving. Why? Because you using your gift is what God is concerned with. He'll deal with them about their gratefulness. He'll deal with you, are you serving? And what happens to a lot of people who serve is they get really frustrated, they get burned out, and you're like, Elijah sitting in the back of a cave who was serving a nation through prophecy. And he said, you know what, God? I'm sick of it. I'm not doing it anymore. Nobody cares. Here I am. They've slaughtered all the prophets, and I'm the last one. And people who serve a lot, you feel like you're the last one. Nobody's serving but you. That's what Elijah said. And here's God's comment to Elijah. Shut your mouth. There are thousands of people serving. Now get out and go back to serving. That's what he said. Remember Martha? Martha was serving. She was getting the house all ready. She's feeding everybody. They're just in there sitting around the feet of Jesus. Just sitting around. Oh, Jesus, your words are so awesome. And there's Martha like carrying plates. Nobody's helping. Just leaving their trash on the ground. She's picking it up. She finally, she's had it. She's fed up. She says, Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Martha, Martha. If God uses your name twice, I'm telling you, it's not good. It's not good. Sean, Sean. Oh, nope, nope. Not good. Um, yeah, like don't stop serving because people aren't appreciative of your service. You just keep serving because God has given you a gift and he's commanded you to use it. Now we move on. He says, if teaching in his teaching. Now here's a space I'll contrast uh, Pastor Reggie and myself, my dad and me. Um, here's where we are different. So just to help you locate gifts, this is not for the purpose of comparison. This is for the purpose of transparency. So you might see two different gifts and then realize, oh, okay, now I'm sort of getting it. I didn't understand what you were saying, but now I understand it better. Um, Pastor Reggie has far more of a prophetic gift than I would have. I would have more of a teaching gift than he has. Both are gifts. Both are necessary. But in the usefulness of that gift, 
He will pray more than I pray. Now, here's the thing. I probably pray a whole lot more than all of you guys, but I don't pray as much as he does. But here's the other thing. He might study more than you guys, but he doesn't study as much as I do. And so there is a giftedness in you that will require differences in your lifestyle to nurture that gift. And I don't get frustrated, like sometimes, anybody come to prayer life on Wednesdays? If you don't, you should. Okay, have you ever heard him say like, oh, I just have the best life, I just get to pray in there, and it's just awesome. Well, that's not the life that I live. I'm having to deal with people's hassles all day, every day, while he's just in there praying and enjoying the glory of God. But here's the thing, his prophetic gift is amplified because of his commitment to prayer. My gift of teaching is amplified because of the hours of study. I still have to pray. I'm not exempt from prayer because I study. And he's not exempt from study because he prays. But I'll do more of this for this purpose because this is my gift. And he will do more of this for this purpose because this is his gift. And it's the same in all of us. Our lives may look different. But what isn't different is that you nurture your gift and use it. I nurture my gift and use it. And when you use yours to serve people and I use mine to serve people, here's what happened. The kingdom of God, like, is advanced. Everything is better. Keep going. He talks about the gift of exhortation, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. Look, that's just the person who's encouraging people. That's like the coach. The coach that is going to see something in you to encourage it and then fuss at you about the things that need to be fixed. I love the balance of coaches. They like they don't just let all the junk go while saying, oh, we're doing awesome while they're down by 12. It's like, okay, we got to get this down. This is great, but we got to get this fixed. That is somebody who's encouraging you. A, 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 something we have to watch in encouragers, what you have to watch is that you don't just get married to the encouragement and you forget to tell them the other stuff. You can't just say, hey, life is great. You're doing awesome if they're actually not. Tell them where they're doing awesome because that's your gift. Look for specifically what are they doing awesome and talk about it. But don't let the garbage go. What did Jesus say? He said, okay, hey, I don't condemn you. That was very encouraging. But then go and sin no more. So encouragers have to make sure they're not leaving out some of the other things. And then he talks about if you're called if you have a gift of contribution that you're to do it generously uh, this is one of those that's really easy because it's numbers at the end of the day it's very possible for somebody with a gift of generosity to get hung up in the number and forget the sacrifice you aren't generous because you gave more than that person you are generous because you sacrificed more than that person so if somebody gives 10% and their 10% is 1,000 and someone else gives 10% and their 10% is 100, the 1,000 person isn't more generous than the 100 person. They both gave 10%. It's just their 10% was more than theirs. But if the lesser person gave 15% and this person gave 5%, even if they gave less, they're actually more generous. So generous people can't get hung up in the amount. You have to understand it's about the sacrifice. Moving on, he says that the person who leads, that they should lead with zeal. 
Be passionate about what you lead. If you have a gift of leadership, look, you probably lead something at work that you're not that passionate about. That's fine. Use your gift. Be successful. Use it. But don't, but don't neglect that gift in the house of God that can lead something in the house of God that you are passionate about, that serves people, that makes the world better. This gift might be used and it might enrich you. Awesome. Don't quit your day job. But don't neglect to use your gift in the house and lead in the house where you can lead also because people need your leadership in the house. And then he talked about a, um, those who do acts of mercy. I, the, the mercy that I see in this church, um, kids are awesome. Like I'm a dad of four. <laughs> it's like the greatest thing on the planet is being a dad. And I see people in this house, they adopt kids, they foster kids, um, that is like when you see a kid who somebody took them out of a terrible spot and like is going to raise them for me, like that is an act of mercy that is beyond imagination. I see grandparents raising grandchildren as their own. Like I don't know how you feel, but like when I get to be a grandparent, I don't know if I'm gonna have the energy to raise the grandkid like my own. I mean, that just sounds awful, to be honest. And yet I, I see people in our church, they take on that burden with cheerfulness. Like they're smiling while they do it. A lady in our church the other day, she does prison ministry, and she got to know a lady that was on her way to prison, and she was pregnant. Not the lady, not the preacher doing prison ministry, the prisoner was pregnant. And she had a baby, and now she in our church, she's raising that child until she gets out of jail. Like, like for real. Unfathomable what people do in this house. And think about it. What everybody who serves does and how much this church has been able to grow. Just think if we took those who serve and tripled it. Like, tripled it. Do you realize when we all use our gift, everybody's blessed? This is what happened in Acts chapter 6 and verse 7. After the apostle said, we're going to keep doing our gift, you keep doing yours. And here's what it said actually happened. It said, the word of God continued to increase. So the ones that said, we're going to give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They, it said, the word continued to increase. Why? Because they used their gift. But then it went on and said, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Why? Because those who were called to manage, they began using their gift of service alongside of those gifted to speak. And the end result wasn't just a bunch of spiritually fat Christians it was spiritually fat Christians surrounded by a whole bunch of new Christians so that the body of Christ was being multiplied in number and in quality. That's the potential. When we all use our gift, our spiritual gift to serve one another, we will continue to receive all the awesome things that we're now receiving, but it's actually more blessed for you to give than you to receive, and so you will be infinitely better, infinitely better, because you used your gift.